Hello, I'm Pastor Phil Mentor. I'm the lead pastor of Harvest Worship Center. On behalf of myself and our congregation at Harvest Worship Center, we would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. This is a podcast of our Sunday morning celebrations that take place every week at 10.30 a.m. We would like to invite you to come and join us in person sometime. We are located at 456 4th Street in Tryon, Georgia. We now pray that you are blessed by the Word of God today. Thank you again, and we hope you will enjoy this week's message. If you would like more information about Harvest, please visit us on Facebook and Instagram or at our website at tryonhwc.com. Amen. You may be seated. Look at somebody beside you and say, may his presence be with you. May it be for you. May it go before you. May it be upon you and upon your family and upon your children and their children. Amen. The blessings of the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're going to continue some thoughts today in the revival series. And today I'm going to be talking to you just for a little bit about voice, vision, passion, equaling power. Voice, vision, and passion. Um, Jesus said in Matthew, uh, John, verses 10, or chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the, uh, enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his, uh, his own sheep by name and leads them out. I want you to, to, to hear verse 4 especially. And when he has brought us out, out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. For they know his voice. And over the next few moments, we're going to talk about what it means to know the voice of the shepherd. I believe if we're going to see revival in our families, if we're going to see revival in our personal lives, our community, our nation, we must tune our ears to the voice of the shepherd. And you say, uh, I, is God speaking in this hour? Very much so. God is speaking if we'll tune our ear to listen. And we're going to talk to you just a little bit about how we tune our ear to listen to the voice of God, how we we you know, how we uh, learn to hear his voice. And uh, again, as we go through this, keeping verse four in mind, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Shepherds spent hours and hours and hours with their sheep. It was, being a shepherd was a lonely life. Um, they spent hours leading their flocks to green pastures, leading their places. You got to re remember you're in a desert re region. And so uh, pasture land isn't everywhere. So they had to lead them to different areas where there was green pastures. And there was places for those sheep to eat and feed and to, to have water to drink. And so the sheep knew their voice. Um, and, you, you know, I used to have a dog that wouldn't come for nobody but me. Okay? Why? Because he knew my voice. He wouldn't do tricks for anybody but me. Why? Because he knew my voice. And there's something about them learning and training to know the voice. Now, um, I shared this illustration in the early service with, with them, and I want to share it with you. How many of you can pick your mama's voice out of any room? Come on. If your mama's talking and it be a crowded room, you know, hey, that's mama's voice. Mom's in the room. Um, uh, you know, or, or someone who maybe raised you, a guardian, or, you know, someone who was responsible for you, uh, you know their voice. I still kind of can't, you know, clench up when I hear Philip David, because that's usually my full name meant trouble. 
um, anybody else, your full name meant trouble. So if I ever got the full name, I knew I had violated some, some crime. I'd committed a crime in the presence of my parents, and I was in trouble. But again, understanding that this verse says that, that my sheep will know my voice. We live in a world full of voices, voices of politics, voices of friends, voices of loved ones, voices of, uh, of those around us, and we need to be able to pick God's voice out. Amen? How many has ever been faced with a huge decision, and you're like, I just want to, I just want to know if this is God's will for my life. I just want to know if this, this is the right decision for my life. I want to know if I should, should do, you know, take the job or, or, or take another. I need to know if I should, you know, and how many, you know, for a while when that decision's far off, it's, it's kind of, you know, okay, Lord, I need your help here. But as it, the, the deadline approaches, it gets a little more panicky. Okay. For those of you that are seniors, you know, picking a college, picking a career, all that's becoming real now. All of that, all of a sudden I've got to choose some things in my life that really matter. These, this, this counts. This counts, and I don't want to mess it up. Any, anybody feel that way? I don't want to mess it up. And so we're listening, and we're saying, and so we're asking people, well, what do you think, Mom? What do you think, Dad? What do you think? And whoever we, you know, and we do all this research, but the point is we want the will of God, and we, or we should want the will of God. We need to listen to the voice of God, and we need to hear His voice in this hour because we live in a world full of voices, full of voices, full of, full of influences. That, and, and they're saying, go this way or go that way. I want to go the way God leads me. I want to listen to the shepherd. I want to follow him because I know his voice. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to find that illustration of this story of how we, we tune in in 1 Kings 18. So if you uh, want to kind of jot that down, if you're a note taker or you want to uh, make reference of that, go back. Your homework is read 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, you'll love the story. We're not going to read all of it because we don't have time because every verse of it's worth preaching. Everywhere, just about it. And you, you can get a million sermons off of, off of 1 Kings 18. But we're going to try to focus on one today because you came here for one. And so I'll try not to do two or three. So, but uh, I, want us to, I want to use this illustration to share with you that revival cannot come in our personal lives, our community, or our nation and world unless we tune our ear towards the Good Shepherd. We need to hear what Jesus is saying in this hour. So in 1 Kings 18, verse 17 says, And Ahab saw Elijah, uh, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? In other words, the very first thing that the man of God is called by the king is you're a troubler of Israel. You cause trouble. You, you're a troublemaker. In other words, when you show up, things don't go my way. When you show up, trouble happens. I want you to know Ahab in this story and Jezebel in this story represent a, a few things. Number one, they, re, they represent a religious spirit. Okay, You can tell a religious spirit in a church when you bring up an idea and you hear this, the very first thing. We've tried that. It don't work. We've tried that. That's a religious spirit. Okay, We've tried that. I got news for you. There is nothing original. Okay, you say, boy, this is an original sermon. No, it's not. The very first one to preach this was the author of 1 Kings. Okay, so this is not, there's not ever been an original sermon, no matter how cool the idea or how cool the thought. I'm telling you, it originated from something someone said a long time ago, and we're just kind of repeating the same. Matter of fact, Charles Finney said, we are, we are saying the same story over and over and over again, just in new and creative ways in order for people to maybe grasp hold of the story that we're trying to share. We're sharing the story that Jesus is the shepherd and we need to hear his voice in the midst of all the voices that are speaking in this hour. And there's a lot of voices speaking. 
There's a lot of voices speaking. As a matter of fact, um, if, you want to, if you want to know how many voices or, or how many conflicting voices there are, just take a trip to Walmart. Okay, how many political signs can you see between here and Walmart? Okay, vote for me. My voice is better than this voice. And that's all we're going to hear for, you know, till November. Okay, and, and we're going to hear it over and over again. And why? Because someone's wanting to gain office. Somebody's wanting to be elected. And I want you to know that those voices are there. Okay, hear my voice. Jesus says, in the midst of all of this, you need to hear my voice. Uh, Elijah is dealing with a nation who is back, they're backslidden. They were God's chosen people and they're backslidden. They have turned their hearts to other gods. They are worshiping other things. And I just want to say this to, to those of us in the room and those of us that are watching at home. Uh, many of us, if we're not careful, we will make an idol in our life. And we will worship something in our life. And by the way, you were created to worship, so you are going to find something to worship. Did you know that? You were created to worship. For some people... I don't have my phone with me, but it's this device we carry around. We can't have a conversation looking somebody in the eye anymore. We want to text them. Or, you know, how many of you prefer, just a real quick survey, you prefer text over voice? You'd rather text than to talk to somebody. Y'all are not participating. All right? I won't call you by name if that's what it takes. You prefer to text than, than call. How many of you like voice? You'd rather talk to somebody. I am very surprised. I am that way. If you need to text me more than four lines, I'm calling you. I'm calling you because it, there's such a disconnect. I'm not going to get there. That's one of those messages I'll do for another time. There's a disconnect, though, through just text. Um, we need to hear somebody's voice sometimes. We need to hear uh, the tone of their voice. The expression of their face can say so much. Amen? There's more to communication than just words. More than words. By the way, there's more to God than just prayer and praying a set order of words. Amen. So again, in 1 Kings 18, let's set the stage. Ahab's dealt with, Ahab's dealing with Elijah and he's saying, you're a troublemaker. That's all you are. And I, and I love this man of God's answer to this guy who represents, number one, Ahab and Jezebel represent religion and they represent a secular world or, or Satan. They represent a lot of things in this story. And, and in this story, he says, the, the, the world or religion saying, you're a troubler. You, you just cause trouble. You like to change things up. We don't like you. Uh, uh, you know, Elijah, because when you're, you're around, we feel convicted. Amen? Ever had a, a friend that you won't invite over because maybe you want to do something that you shouldn't be doing and you're afraid they'll, they'll, they'll judge you? Don't judge me. We love that term in our society. I've got news for you. When we say that, we're already judging ourselves in our mind. Amen? Because if we didn't care what they thought, we wouldn't even care what they said. But it brings to reality a lot of times in our life what we already feel condemnation over. That one's free. But in 1 Kings, uh, he goes on and he says and, and answers him and he says, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed Baal. You've, you followed after a false god. You've worshipped a false god. What is God in your life? You were created to worship something. Some people, guess what it is? They are about to die because there's no sports. About to die. I, I get so, I watch, I watch it on Facebook and they're about to die because they, they, can't, they can't participate in sports. I've got news for you. Life, what if, what if that was taken from you? What if physically you were, that was taken from you? What is there left in your life? I hope there's more than sports. I hope there's more than entertainment. For some people, it's binging on Netflix. I'm, I mean, you have watched so much Netflix. You know, you know the menu by heart. So, you know, you, you know. Give me a new show to watch. You can name off five or six already. Okay, because you've been bored. Okay, anybody been bored? 
during this time, okay? If you haven't been bored, then you wasn't paying attention, no guidelines. You've been bored. So we find ways to entertain ourselves. So we indulge and we gorge and we, we, we find things that, that are entertaining. Look, it's not that those things are wrong. You don't leave here saying, Pastor, don't like sports. I love sports. Don't leave here saying, Pastor, don't watch Netflix. His house is holy. I watch Netflix. I don't watch everything on Netflix because we need to be careful what we watch. But I'm going to tell you something. I, I like entertainment, but when entertainment robs God of his attention in my life, I have begun to worship something else. Guess what? Boyfriends, girlfriends, husbands, wives, children, all of those can become idols in our lives. Best friends, if they're dominating me and they're taking me away from God and they're taking me... Listen, great way to judge anything in your life, whether you're worshiping God or not. Are you closer to God because of it or further away? Okay, that's a great judge of anything. If this is drawing me further from the presence of God, then it's something in my life I need to ask. Am I worshiping, worship, worshiping this thing? Have I created an idol in my life? So Elijah challenges Ahab and he says, look, y'all, you, you and your house are the troublers because you have led people away. Now, therefore, he goes on in verse 19 and says, send and gather all of Israel to Mount Carmel and 450 prophets of Baal and 450 or 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. In other words, he's saying, get these 850 false prophets and you meet me at Mount Carmel and there we're going to have a showdown. So the stage is set. The stage is set. He said, we're going we're gonna to find out who God really is in this country. We're going to find out who God really is in this nation. And I'm here to tell you, there's nothing like a little bit of trouble in a nation to cause that nation to decide who God is. And I believe America has had a lot of trouble. We've had a lot of things going on. Our whole world has seen a lot of trouble. And we are deciding in our hearts right now who God is going to be. My God is not Donald Trump. My, not, my God is not Joe Biden. My God is not anybody that holds office in the in, in in, in, in Congress, my God serves on high. He doesn't answer to man. He doesn't answer to you. He reigns supreme. But I'm here to tell you, we do and must answer to him. And we will for our actions and for what we're doing. So again, it's set. And then 1 Kings 18, verse 20 says this, And Ahab sent to, uh, sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And then I love this. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Why? Because they didn't know what to do. They had never been challenged with it. I've got news for you. It is time for the church to... To rise up and start challenging people with, you know what, I, I just, you know, I love God, but I don't have to do all that church thing. I got news for you. It's not about church. It's about a relationship with God. And if you have a relationship with God, you're not going to hate his house. You're not going to hate his people. And you're not going to hate gathering together to worship him. I've got news for you. Will we ever uh, find a perfect church? Doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Why? Because we're all imperfect people saved by Jesus, washed in the... I wonder if anybody's been saved in this room, been cleansed and washed by the blood of Jesus, then guess what? You are saved, but you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And so we are imperfect people. Until there's perfect people, there's no such thing as a perfect church. So if you're looking for that, you'll just keep on looking, bouncing from house to house. Um, I won't say the guy's last name, but there was a guy named Joe that me and Tina knew in South Georgia, and he, he would hop around to every church. He, and he would he'd show up at every church, and he'd be there for a few weeks, and then, and then it'd always be the same testimony. Y'all pray for me, I'm just searching. 
I'm just searching. And he was like the children of Israel, I guess. He just wanted to search for 40 years in circles. I don't know. Because he would circle around each church. And you could count on Joe about every six months. He would be with you for a month and then he'd move on. He's searching. I got news for you. What you got to do is you got to dive into a group of, of people who are not perfect and realize that, that we all need Jesus. Come on. We all need this same Jesus and we're all works of grace in progress. How many God's still working on your life? You're not there yet, but you're, he's still working on you. He's working on me. You cannot stand for worship, spirit, and truth without being against selfish living. And spiritual idolatry. You can't, in other words, you can't, you can't say I'm for God, I'm for worship, I'm for truth, and then turn and say, but I'm also going to live selfishly. I'm also going to live and worship other things. You can't have, you can't have it both ways. You cannot be for humility and service without being against pride and, 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 and carelessness. In other words, you can't, you can't have it both ways. You cannot be for holiness and sanctification and then, uh, and without being against impurity and corruption. You can't do it. You can't say it's okay, I'm holy and I'm righteous, but I'm also immoral and corrupt and do what I want to do. You can't do it. You can't have it both ways. What did Jesus say? No man serves two masters. He's going to love one or hate the other. And you say, well, he was talking about money. Well, he was using that as the root for a lot of things. He was saying that's the root of all, uh, of all kinds of evil. He didn't say it was evil in itself. He said, but it's the, it can, out of it can sprout a lot of things, greed, anger, jealousy. In other words, you can't, you can't live a corrupt life and then claim to be holy and sanctified. You can't be for the power of God, the gifts of the Spirit, without being against sickness, poverty, disease, and oppression. You can't do it. You can't say, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay with all this other stuff, but I believe in the power, and I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, and I believe in what God can do. No, in other words, you've got to make a stand. You cannot be for faithfulness and commitment without being against unfaithfulness and a lack of commitment. In other words, you've got to be against those things in order to be for them. How do you realize, how many realize that? That's like you, uh, you know, we got some that went to Tatuga, some went to Trine. That would be like you cutting two jerseys in half and sewing them together. And, and, and you know, you got, you know, Tatuga Trine on you, and you, you're like, I'm, I'm for both. No, and, and you go to the game and say, I'm going to play for both. It doesn't work that way, does it? You got to choose one. You, you're going to be loyal to one or the other. Now, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, look, some of us, we've got a, we got a jersey on, and part of it says the world, and part of it says church and, and righteousness, and some of it says my way, and some of it says God's way. And you're pulled against two opinions, just like Israel was. You're wandering between. You're limping. Why, are, why did he use the word or the language limping? I believe because the more you're pulled, the more you're wounded by that lifestyle. How many has ever tried to live both ways? I have. How many has ever tried to please God and please the world at the same time? Live part of the world and live part of It's a miserable existence because you can't have the fullness and the glory and the power of God in your life without being fully committed to Jesus, fully committed to God there is no half way there is no half way and Israel thought they could do both Satan accomplishes his greatest work when the church falls asleep 
and becomes, uh, becomes indifferent to things. In other words, more tolerant of things. Um, one of the biggest insults they could, that the world has ever, could ever hurl at the church is that we look more like the world today than we ever have. I've got news for you. I'm not talking about how you dress, though I do believe that we are called to dress moderate, um, with modesty, not just the young ladies in the house, by the way. That goes for the young men as well, and old men and older women. That goes for all of us. We are all called to that. That doesn't, that's not what I'm talking about solely though. We are called to, to, to live our lives under the sanctifying power of the Lord, the glory of the Lord. And Satan can accomplish a lot when we become more tolerant of the world, more tolerant of, of sin. In other words, you're okay. Just come to church. You're good. As long as you go to church, you're going to go to heaven. Do you realize that's the biggest lie Satan's ever sold? You can come to church every time the doors are open and still split hell wide open because you never had a relationship with Jesus. There's going to be a lot of people on Judgment Day, by the way, that come before God. Did you realize there's, that's actually in the Bible? They will stand before God and they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And they will read their resume of good works. And he's going to look at them and say, I don't know who you are. Depart from me. I don't know who you are because you never had a relationship with me. You can have a relationship with the church and not have a relationship with God. Amen. You can have a relationship with a pastor and not have a relationship with God. And guess what? You can be a pastor and not have a relationship with God. It's not about your position. It is not about your office. It is about you having that relationship with God that when all the titles are stripped away, if church was taken away from us permanently, how many of us would still read our Bibles? If church was taken away from us permanently, how many of us would still worship? If you say, well, I would, then that's great. But what troubles me is the people who have wrote church off and they said, well, I'm good. I wish things would just continue the way they are. I can watch a 30-minute program on Sunday and I'm good. That's troubling to me. It should trouble you. It should trouble you. I don't want to be that way. Why? Because we were born for connection. Did you know that? We were born for connection. That's why the church was created to be a vehicle of connection for believers so that we might be the body of Christ and move forward into a lost and dying world and declare God does not want to bring you into religion. God wants to bring you into a relationship with Him. I'll give you a quick illustration of that. That's like me and Tina saying we're married but we don't live in the same house. We don't talk to one another but we're married. We, we, we respect marriage, but we don't like each other. We don't talk to each other. We don't have a relationship. How many of you would say that's crazy? I would. Now, if you're for that, you've got bigger problems and we're going to pray in a little bit. It's about relationship. It's not about us just saying, hey, we're married, and because we're married, we got to wear rings. Cool, wow. You can wear a ring and not be married. <laughs> It's a relationship. I'm going to tell you something. Those who are in it without a relationship, their marriage is doomed. But when you have a relationship, there's something that goes further than just what you say at an altar. Come on. 
It means this is somebody I depend on to pray for me. This is somebody I depend on to, to counsel me. Come on, church. This is somebody I depend on. In other words, our marriage is not just a license that's in a folder that says, hey, we're married legally. It is more than that to us. It is something we did before God. It's a covenant. It's, it's signifying our relationship was taken to a holy level. That's why it's called holy matrimony. What are you saying, pastor? God is ready to take you to a holy level, to a different level than just an appreciation of the cross, just an appreciation of, thank God I don't have to go to hell. If the only reason you're serving Jesus is to stay out of hell, that's a sad existence to me. That's a sad existence because he has so much more for us. He goes on in chapter 10, by the way, to, to declare, I came to give life and it more abundantly, if you read all of chapter 10 of John. He says, I came that your life could be blessed and that your children could be blessed and that there would be more to me than just some temple worship that you come and you pay a, a priest to go make a sacrifice for you. It's more than just that. This is about the relationship you have with God, that you walk with me and you talk with me and when the world's crumbling uh, you know I'm there for you it's about me knowing you and you knowing me but see the church has fallen asleep just like the children of Israel what causes an individual or a church or an organization to lose their passion I'm going to tell you what does because power follows passion. In other words, you, you don't have power. In other words, if I see the power of God, then I'll have passion about God. That isn't how it works. You hear me? You're passionate about God, and then the power of God shows up in your life. You get passionate about prayer, guess what? God's going to show up. When you get passionate about worshiping God, and you decide, I'm not going to fold my arms during worship, and I'm going to participate, and I don't care what people think. I don't care what everybody else does. This is me and God time. I, can, I'll, I will never regret the day that God reclaimed me for worship. And it happened when I was in a chapel service in my sophomore year in college. I was at a Christian college where I I attended and I was, I was there and, and I'll never forget when God just reminded me that, that there, there was hundreds in that room but it wasn't, there could have been just me. It became, that time of worship became about me and God and I discovered what it was to have a worship life with the Lord all on my own and for the first time in my life I discovered the power in worship, the power in a personal prayer life. For years I called on mom or dad when things got bad. Y'all need to pray for me because my life may not be in the condition uh, that it needs to be. And I need somebody that's got a good life. Anybody ever called on somebody to pray for them because you knew their life was maybe in better shape than yours spiritually? Oh, come on. I have. Power follows passion. What causes an individual to grow cold or a church to grow cold and, and, and lack power and passion? Number one, it's no vision. We have no vision. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. In other words, I want to share with you, there's some sources of vision that God the number one, the word of God. This word is alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. The Bible says that it pierces asunder to the heart and to the spirit and to the soul of, of man. How many of you, I'll, I'll make a point, the day you got saved, if, you, if you're not saved, then hopefully this will be the day, but the day you got saved, you remember what happened that day when it became more than just a story about Jesus being on the cross. It pierced through your heart. It pierced through your mind. It went to the very heart of who you were. All of a sudden, tears began to stream, and you 
realized, I need this Jesus that gave everything for me to come into my life. All of a sudden, the word of God became sharper than any two-edged sword, and it went to the very heart of who you were so God could change your life. Number one, vision comes from the Word of God. Number two, it comes from the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the author of the book. No, there are many people who wrote it down, but the Bible says it was inspired or God breathed. In other words, the Holy Spirit breathed through these men and women to write these stories that we read called the Bible, okay? And so this is an inspired book. It's not just a book that is written by inspired men. It was written by men under the unction of the Holy Spirit, which means they were doing, they were writing down God's words to us. That's why we call this God's word. That's why it's called the living word. And I'm here to tell you when the word comes alive in you through the gift of the Holy Spirit, then all of a sudden what is birthed in your life is vision for your life, vision for your future. And I've got news for you. There's not one thing you're going through this book doesn't cover. Oh yeah, there's plenty of stuff. I challenge you, dig into it and see. It's there. The next thing is pastors and church leaders are supposed to have a prophetic voice in this hour. I shared with them earlier today. In other words, I'm afraid it's become pathetic and not prophetic. In other words, we, we, we live in a generation where, where pastors are no longer preaching truth, but they're telling people what they want to hear. And that's not going to get you to heaven. Okay, you walk, if, if I was a doctor and you walked in my office and, and, and I, I, I knew you had cancer, and you thought you might have cancer, but I looked at you and said, you're good. Because I knew that's what you wanted to hear. You didn't want to hear you had cancer. And I just sit there and told you, you're good. Uh, you had heart trouble, but I didn't tell you you had heart trouble because I knew that would upset you. So many people walk into the church and they got heart trouble and they got sin. It's just, by the way, sin's a cancer. Eats away the spiritual body. And they come in, and, 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 and instead of giving a prophetic word, we're giving a pathetic word. We're just telling people what they want to hear. I, that's not going to happen here, by the way. We're going to tell you the truth because I love you too much, and I know one day I won't stand before you and hold account for what I'm preaching to you today. I will stand before God and hold account for what I'm preaching to you today. And I'm not going to tell you you're okay when you're not because I want you to find the saving grace of God, the sanctifying power of God. And if you're playing games with God and you're trying to live both ways, one foot in the world, one foot in church, you're not going to make it. That's just the hard truth. But the good news is, the great physician is in the room to heal you. The great physician's in the room to restore you. The great physician's in the room to forgive you. Amen? Who is that great physician? The Bible declares him. His name is Jesus. Amen? He's the doctor that can take care of it. And so again, the voice pastor should be that prophetic voice in this hour so, uh, urging people to repentance urging people to walk in a relationship with God and instead there's a whole lot of telling people what they want to hear the voice of God begins God's vision in our life when this vision is received then we receive passion and when we receive passion for God's vision then we receive the uh, God's power to fulfill the vision you can't fulfill vision on your own I'll never forget as a 19 year old kid in college in my dorm room 
I was an education major. I, I wanted to go, I wanted to coach sports. That's what I longed to do. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a high school coach. And, and that's where my path of, and direction was set on. And in my freshman year, God began to get a hold of my life. As I told you, he began to change who I was. He began to alter who I was. And all of a sudden, I began to, uh, to realize he was calling me into something. I received my calling into ministry and in, in, into preaching, changed my major over to that. And I, I'll never forget that. And God gave me a vision of what he wanted to do in my life. And that vision produced passion. In other words, I wanted, I was passionate about what God had called me to do and what he called me to be. And that passion, guess what, was not enough to fulfill the vision because the vision wasn't mine. The vision was God's. And God's vision's always going to be bigger than your abilities. Come on, church. God's vision's always going to be bigger than what you know how to do. It's going to be off the scope bigger. And if it's not, then it's manageable for you. Then you don't need God's help. You can do it off of passion. But I'm here to tell you the vision God laid on my heart as a 19-year-old man, I began to seek God because I knew it was bigger than me. I knew I couldn't do it on my own. And all of a sudden, that passion, it began to produce power in my life. Why? Because it drove me to a place of prayer. I want to share with you just real quickly as we get ready to wrap this up, the rest of this story. They meet on Mount Carmel and as they meet on Mount Carmel, they be, they're getting ready to do uh, battle. In, in other words, not battle with swords but battle in the spirit and the bible says that as uh, uh, midday passed the, the the prophets or the false prophets prepared to sacrifice and they begin to call on their false god and they begin to ask her and ask god that false god to, to 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 come and consume that sacrifice because elijah had challenged them and said you don't don't put fire to it let the god who answers by fire let them be god of israel so they built the altar they put their sacrifice the prophets of baal begin to call on their false god they begin to ask for him to answer their prayers. Nothing happened. The Bible says it was quiet. It got so boring for the people. By the way, you'll get bored with religion. You'll get bored with that. It'll be dry and lifeless in your life. They got bored with it and they began to not even pay attention. Then the Bible says as the evening sacrifice came on, this went on all day long, Elijah said, all the people come near to me and they drew near to him and he said, and the Bible says he rebuilt the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. I'm, that altar represents your prayer life. And if you want power in your life, you've got to have a prayer life. you got to know how to talk to God. you got to know how to intercede for the Lord. So they built the altar of the Lord. They rebuilt that which had been destroyed and torn down. And all of a sudden, they laid a sacrifice on it. They covered it with three barrels of water. And all of a sudden, I, Elijah calls out to God. And he says, let the God that answers by fire be God of Israel. Hear me, O God of Israel. And all of a sudden, fire came down, consumed the sacrifice, consumed the wood, consumed the altar. Everything was disintegrated. The prophets of Baal and the false prophets of Asherah were taken and slain by the sword. And revival hit a nation. They remembered who they were because they saw who God really was. I want you to know all because of one man who had passion that produced power because he called on the name of the Lord. What can happen if one of us decides we've had enough of the world We've seen enough of the things going on in this world and we're sick of it and we're ready to see power in the church again. I'm here to tell you that's all it takes to see revival spark in Chattooga County. That's all it takes to see revival come to Georgia, to come to this nation and come to this world. It's for people to get fed up with religion and realize we've got a God that will answer by fire if we'll just call on him. There's enough power of God to fall from heaven and consume 
what needs to be consumed. The last scripture I want to share with you as we close today is simply this. And that's found in Romans. In Romans, the 12th chapter, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to be in the perfect will of God. Amen. Well, I, I, I know sometimes I stray off. I'm in the permissive will of God. If you've ever heard that terminology, you were told incorrectly. That is not even found in the Bible. God giving you permission to stray outside of his will. You're either in his will or you're not in his will. Okay. There's no gray area. There's no fence. Some people have been riding the fence for too long. It's time to choose a side. <laughs> it's time to choose a side. And I guess I just have to say who's on the Lord's side today? Who's on God's side today? Who's ready to see revival? Who's sick of what they're going through? Who's sick of the circumstances that they see around them? Not just in this world, but in their walk with God. In their, who's tired of it? It takes a sold out life. And that's what Romans teaches us. You see, because if you rebuild the altar of prayer in your life, then something's got to go on that altar. And it's not going to be Jesus. Jesus died, the Bible says, once and for all. He doesn't need to die again. The blood he shed on the cross was enough. It was enough for all of those who were alive then and would be afar off, the Bible says. And that would be us and our children's children. It was enough. So we've got this altar built. What goes on it? Well, according to Romans, that's us. That's right, Pastor. Get on the altar so our church can see revival. It takes us. If you want God's power in your life, it takes you getting on the altar. But this time, He's not asking for something dead. He wants a living sacrifice. I like what one of my college professors said years ago. He said, the trouble with living sacrifices are they tend to crawl off the altar. When the heat comes on, we get away. When the challenge for change comes on, we walk away. When that challenge for commitment comes, we walk away. And we embrace religion again because religion doesn't challenge me. Relationship will challenge you. So Paul says, I beg you, by the mercy of our God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is the reasonable thing to do. I love that. <laughs> Paul is stating this. He's saying, don't it just make sense? That a God that will give you everything deserves everything. A God that will give all of himself to you deserves you to give all yourself to him. Now, isn't that just reasonable? That's what Paul's saying. That's the least you can do in return for what Jesus has done for you is to give him everything in return. Will you stand? In the Bible, fire represents 
the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 2, the church was filled with power when the Holy Ghost came upon them, the Bible says. This was the fulfillment of a prophetic word gave by a great pastor, the best pastor that's ever walked the earth. His name was Jesus. And in Acts 1 and 8, he declared, but not many days from now, you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then throughout all of Judea into Samaria and in all the world. I want you to realize who he is telling this to. A group of people who were, they weren't skilled men. Fishermen, tax collectors. They didn't have a lot of skill. And he's laying a challenge before them that is off the chart, unreal, and unachievable on their own. And he's saying, but when the Spirit comes upon you, he will bring fire, which represents power. And that power is produced by your passion. And so they gathered in that upper room after Jesus ascended into heaven, and for days they sought the presence of God. It didn't happen on day one or day two. Forty days they sought the presence of God. And the Bible says, and then they came into one accord. They came into one place in one accord, and the Holy Spirit fell and they were consumed with the power of God and there was even a visible representation and it said and clothing tongues of fire appeared and sat upon each of them fire presence power how many of you need God's power once again we thank you for worshiping with us today we would love to hear from you. If you were touched in any way by today's message, please let us know. You can find out more about us and even support our ministry with an offering at trinehwc.com. Thank you again for listening and worshiping.